On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to jump right into a study of Acts chapter 6. Mike Davis will be leading us in our study today of Acts chapter 6. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Before we get into Acts chapter 6, I'll turn it over to Paul. And Paul, if you would let everyone know, especially the new people, how they can participate in today's study. I will. And if you're preparing your Bibles right now to open up, you might... Uh, realize that we're in Acts 26. And so that'll be a, a <laughs> good place say? for you. Six, but that's okay. Uh, and so I'm not uh, I'm not on John's case here. Just uh, just letting you know that that's that's where we are. Uh, we're in Acts 26. And so we'll we'll uh, be studying there today. Now, if you would like to participate and you're watching us live today, it is Wednesday in the Eastern Time Zone. It's about noon, and the Central Time Zone. It's about 11 and I think it's 9 a.m. on the uh, West Coast. And uh, if you're watching us live, you can participate by uh, going to YouTube.com and searching for Truth Factor Live. And so uh, I think something crazy was going on in my video there for a moment, but uh, Truth Factor Live. And so uh, if you're on you, uh, if you're on Facebook, also it's Truth Factor Live. We can also be connected uh, with on Twitter and Truth Factor Live, and I don't think we're on any other social media yet, are we, John? No, it's just um, those three. Yeah, Truth Factor Live. If you'd like to email us or you have a question, send that to questions at truthfactor.live, questions at truthfactor.live. We're so glad you've joined us today, and we want to invite you, if you're watching us on any of that social media, that you not only subscribe but you also click, uh, I know that on YouTube, it's the bell that you get notifications uh, for when we're online. That way uh, you always know when we go live. So uh, we look forward to a study today. I believe that Mike Davis will be leading us. And once again, we're in Acts chapter 26, and we'll look forward to a good Bible study today. Paul, I appreciate that. Uh, sorry about the, the blue hue effect. Um, I can duplicate it again if you're interested at home. It looks kind of like this. No, not like that. Hang on. It's pretty wild looking. I know that uh, I look like maybe a Halloween figure. There you go. Anyways, what happened with Paul was up there, and with the um, the new Zoom, I see the ribbon, okay, of, of everybody in the conversation. And um, so what happens is um, they don't see a picture of me except what I send them through vMix, which is what you're seeing at home. And since Paul was up in front, I double-clicked on the wrong Paul. And when I double-clicked on the wrong Paul, it turned Paul into that. So, sorry about that, Paul. All right, so, <laughs> Mike, if you would, tell us where we are at today and take us into our study. We are indeed. In Acts chapter 26, Paul, uh, the apostle, has... Uh, met with Festus, and Festus now has brought the apostle before King Agrippa. And actually, chapters 25 and 26, the uh, the translators would have done us great service had they just continued the story. But as happens many times in the New Testament, uh, chapter interruptions are by the translators, not by God. And so we continue to just flow on through. Thomas, if you would, please, I'm going to ask that you read down through verse 8, and then we'll 
to the chat room questions and the other discussions. Okay. I can do that. Okay. And I'm, uh, as again, as always, reading from the New King James Version. And we read there, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happily, or I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of the re our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? That brings forth several interesting questions. And I do hope that we can get through the chapter today, but if we don't, it's simply because of the importance of this discussion. Let's with the uh, chat room question first, and then, uh, Paul, I think I'll throw the first question to you here. The question is, does the law of Moses and the prophets speak of, quote, the resurrection of the dead? In other words, do either uh, the prophets or Moses speak of the hope of the resurrection? That becomes an important question to us when we consider what is the reason for Paul's delight in speaking for himself before King Agrippa? In other words, Paul, what made Agrippa such an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews? Well, uh, I, I kind of took that as a two-part question. Uh, Paul, Paul was glad to be able to speak for himself. He, he was uh, certainly he would not appreciate what others had to say about him. Uh, and so that was part of that delight is that he he wanted to be able to do that. But uh, when thinking about Agrippa, I was trying to consider uh, Agrippa's position. Certainly he was familiar. He had interacted. He and his family had interacted with the Jews for a long time. He was a king over the region in which the Jews lived. And so he would have to be well acquainted with the uh, lifestyle, with the customs, with the religion of the Jews. Well, and, and that's, that's very true, Paul. Whether it came about by just simply observation or by actually listening to what uh, uh, Jews talked back and forth, Sadducees, Pharisees, and others that were of religious ilk, but not necessarily uh, agreeable with, with uh, Paul or certainly Christ, he nonetheless would have some, some observation, some knowledge gained from this. So Thomas kind of looks like people have deserted us here, Paul. I hope not. But <laughs> at any rate, Thomas, if you would, please, let's look at question two. It's obvious that several of the Jews knew Paul from his youth up, as we read in verses four through five. Why would they not be willing to testify in Paul's behalf regarding his being the strictest sect of the Jews? That is a Pharisee. Why would they not uh, uh, support him in that? Well, well, we're not given the reason, but I suspect that it would be very similar to why you read over there in John 12, 
Um, about many believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Jews, they wouldn't confess him because they didn't mm -hmm. want to be cast out of the synagogue. So, so I, very likely the idea is, uh, yes, they knew of Paul and so on, but because Paul was now teaching something that they that they were distanced from or that came with consequences, they just distanced themselves from Paul. Maybe they're, they're, they're the enemies as well. They're scared. Yes. Uh, they uh, well uh, that leads us to question three obviously uh paul makes this statement he says i stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by god to our fathers does this not imply and we'll make three questions out of this and shelton will come to you first with it does this not imply that the strict jews that is the pharisees and they're, they're noted as being the strictest sect of the jews does this not imply that the strict Jews would have believed as Paul did in the resurrection of the dead? Uh, yes, they did. The Pharisees uh, were ones who did believe in the resurrection. And the yet dead. they don't defend Paul's belief in the resurrection. Right. It's it's very uh, hypocritical in this sense, but yes. And and again, the, the thought would be that they're scared of being thrown out of the synagogue and their prominence and all. Right. It, it's, it's the same today when we see, you know, those who believe in one way truly in their heart, but they won't take a stand for it. Oh, absolutely. Mike, do you think it might be that they believed in a resurrection, but not the resurrection? Well, now, it, it, that brings the good point here, Paul, because the chat room question is going to open that. And so I'm glad you brought I apologize. it. apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. The chat room does open that question. And I appreciate you bringing it out. While they believed in life after death, the problem was they did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. So kind of a thumbnail way of remembering it, Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection nor in angels. And, and it's easy to remember that's a sad thing to, not, to believe that no life after death. The Pharisees were fair in their understanding that there is life after death, but only fair is not good. They didn't believe in Jesus as being the Son of God, that God did raise from the dead. So it is kind of an odd question here that I ask, that the strict Jews would have believed in a resurrection, in life after death, but not in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So part B here, and Paul will go to you with this, does it not imply that to accuse Paul of teaching the or let's go with a resurrection of the dead does it not imply that to accuse paul of resurrection they too should be on trial oh certainly that, that's right and so uh but you know whoever said the pharisees had to be consistent uh, whoever said anyone is really consistent uh and so but they're they're not in that and uh, they are not particularly interested in right and wrong here they're not particularly interested in even defending their own beliefs. They are just interested in getting rid of Paul. We've seen that in the previous chapters. Uh, there were some who said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. There were some who said, why don't you just send him on the road, uh, transfer him from uh, one jail to another, and on the way, something uh, will happen to Paul. He'll wind up dead. And so uh, their only interest is not in, in being moral or being truthful or even being righteous, uh, their one objective is to get rid of Paul. 
and, and that's that's part three of this question. That it implies that the gospel should not have been strange to these people, for their forefathers taught it as prophecy. With, with that understanding, Thomas, let's circle back here. With the understanding that the prophets taught this, the Pharisees contend that the prophets are right, but they don't believe in Jesus at all. Is it not a fair question, and this isn't on the outline for us, but is, it's implied here, isn't it a fair statement to say that these Pharisees are proving hypocrisy in the very face of actual fact? And, and my answer to that would be absolutely we're seeing a degree of hypocrisy there with, with these religious leaders. Uh, in the fact that they in the fact that they rejected, uh, uh, you know, the idea of the resurrection of Jesus and they rejected Paul. And it's kind of interesting the way that Paul describes all of this before Agrippa and others, you know, where he, he kind of makes the point, uh, you know, I'm being accused of the resurrection. And the point is, is from a Jewish standpoint, that's why they wanted to get rid of him, because, you know, he professed in Jesus who had been raised from the dead. Bear in mind that the trial and the accusations against Paul, as far as the Romans are concerned, still has to do with rebellion, has to do with teaching that uh, there's somebody else besides Caesar that that he's advocating they follow after. And, exactly. and, and, and so understand, that's the reason behind the trial. But what Paul gets to as he makes this point here to Herod is he says, you know as well as I do that this isn't really about me trying to rebel against Rome. This is against a disagreement religiously about who Jesus is and whether or not he was raised from the dead. And that is the point. They, these Jews would not accept Jesus Christ. And yet Paul, in, in all the predicament he is, stands before these men, Festus the governor, Agrippa the king, and defends what the truth of the prophets and Moses had taught. And that is that Jesus Christ is the resurrection in whom we must believe. Well, let's go back to the chat room and see if there's any comments there. Does this law of Moses and do the prophets ever speak of the resurrection of the dead, or as we would say here, the hope of the resurrection? We do have a comment, Mike. All right. And it comes from Gregor. Gregor says, not to my recollection, though as Paul discusses that God acknowledged the dead is alive, hence the God of Abraham present tense even though abraham died 400 years before he goes on to say with that we also know that abraham himself before the law thought god would raise isaac in order to keep his word and that's that's what i was driving at there is evidence in the book of job job says uh, job makes the the rhetorical question if a man dies will he live again and then he states immediately thereafter job chapter 14 I'll wait on my change. There's there's all kinds of indication through the prophets, through the law of Moses. Isaiah is, uh, is specific about it, that there is life after death. And the greatest life was with the Messiah. That was the promise of the old law. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all speak of these things. The, 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 sto the story in the Old Testament about uh, I believe it's Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. 
and and how God was able to put flesh back on those bones and all. There's lots of indication in the Old Testament and from the prophets that there is life after death. But to specifically say this resurrection, no, that came by Jesus. They knew that life could come after death because Jesus himself had raised the dead. They were witnesses to this. That's why Paul asked the question, is it a strange thing, he says, that God should raise the dead? So uh, we, we go from that point to now, uh, Shelton, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to read uh, verses 9 through 11 as Paul simply leaves it with, this isn't a strange thing that I should believe and teach the resurrection. So if you would, please, Shelton, read 9 through 11 for us. Absolutely. Verse 9 says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Thank you, sir. Now, while we're there with you, Shelton, help us out here a little bit. Well, the chat room question first, I guess. It's very simple. What passage in Acts details these actions of Paul persecuting the church and all? That, that should be a very simple question for our listeners today. But Shelton, why was Paul so zealous against the name of Jesus of Nazareth for a while? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, we just read and, and we made very good mention that Paul uh, talks about himself as one of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of the Jews. He was one of them uh, in the same way we just talked about. You know, they believed in a resurrection, a life after death, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God resurrected from the dead. And I'm going to assume that Paul would have been right there with them as one of the Pharisees in that belief system, thinking that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is out here claiming to be the son of God and performing these things would have been to Paul uh, a blasphemer. Somebody he, he did not believe. He thought he was taking on the name of the son of God in a false way. And the Christians mm -hmm. that followed him were uh, in need of, of persecution. They needed to be stopped uh, because they would have seen this as a very blasphemous act, something that was, was very wrong. But of course we know as events that, you know, aspired in Paul's life, he comes to the realization that this man was the son of God. He was persecuting him and needed to stop. But I see this as, you know, and we won't get into the actions as much to get into your next question in the chat room. But, uh, you know, I, Paul was in good conscience doing all of these things, mm -hmm. thinking that this man was not the son of God and he should not have been claiming to be. Is this not really Paul saying, I used to have your argument against the, the uh, saying to the accusers is not Paul saying, I used to believe the way you do. Yeah, it furthers, it furthers the point he's making in the first eight verses of this saying, I was just like you guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then Paul, let's come back to you on the, on this. If you can, please briefly describe the actions and mention whom Paul received authority or permission to enact this cruelty upon disciples of Christ. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, when we look at that, uh, he would get uh, letters. Uh, and in fact, he had letters at the time in which he came to know who Christ was, uh, that he had letters uh, from uh, those authorities, those Jewish authorities from the chief priests and scribes there, the, the chief priests in particular, 
who gave him authority to go and do this. He was, uh, to follow up on what Shelton was saying, in another place it says how he was exceedingly zealous for the tradition of his fathers. And so mm -hmm. uh, we need to be zealous for Christ, not zealous for just the traditions of our fathers. And well so, put. And, and Paul was Paul was kind of that way. He was, um, he at one point in his life, you know, he, he was on fire uh, for serving, uh, for serving, but it was serving those traditions rather than uh, serving God. Uh, I have encountered uh, in, in some religious discussions with some religious organizations, which seem to be very strict. And when you look at them, they're not always strict according to scripture. They're strict according to tradition. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that, Paul. Which brings us back to the chat room question. We'll finish this up real quick and then get to the next section. What what passage in the book of Acts describes Paul's life in, in doing all cruel things to Christians? Gregor says Acts 7 details Saul or Paul's participation in Stephen's stoning and continues in Acts 8 persecuting the church. And as, as Paul later admits, he did this in all good conscience before God. And so, Gregor, you're very correct. And, and it's the reason I put that in the chat room question. So many times Bible students or those that are only casual in their study, especially, they forget that you've got to take the whole picture. You can't just look at Acts 26 and say, well, I got it. Uh, You've you got to go back and remember the original of the stories here. Now, Thomas, let's, or, no, I guess it's Paul's turn. Uh, unless, John, you want to get into the participation here, you kind of stay behind the scenes and, and run the technology for us. And we're appreciative of that, I know. Um, could you read for us, please, verses 12 through 18? Yes, 12 through 18. While this occupied, while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Thank you, John. Now, let me preface our chat room question here with a, a very true story. Some years ago, an individual was studying with me and we had reached the point of his understanding the need to believe the gospel. And he was willing to confess Jesus as the only begotten son of God. And he most certainly understood the necessity of repentance. But he came to this chapter and he read precisely as John did what Jesus says to Paul. And he said to me, how come Paul was not demanded by Jesus to be baptized? 
he wouldn't go back, as we just, just discussed a moment ago, he wouldn't go back to the original section of Acts talking about this event. He believed that he could be saved simply by the Lord saying, well, this is what I want to do with you. And having believed the, the, the scriptures, believing that Christ is the Son of God, repenting of these sins, this gentleman actually believed that Paul was remitted of his sins because of the promise that Jesus speaks forth at this passage. So I want to put it into the chat room question and allow us to discuss it a little bit. Did this conversation from the Lord to Paul forgive his sin, or did it make him keenly aware of his sins? If it forgave his sins, how? If it did not forgive his sins, then what did Paul need to do in order to gain that forgiveness? That's why it's important, friends, to go back and look at the text itself. Look at the original story here. It's crucial to the understanding of Scripture, even here in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. So, question one. Thomas, I think we'll go to you on this one. This scene is first described in Acts chapter 9, 3 through 6. Are there any discrepancies between that passage and this one? Uh, <laughs> the honest answer is no. There, there's not discrepancies. There may be differences in details, uh, but but uh, you put them all together as a puzzle, you don't really find contradictions. That's true. The reason I bring that up is some will say that one place says that they heard heard a voice but saw no man. Yeah. Another place says that they saw the light and heard no voice. And yet you put the pieces together, and yeah, they saw the light. They heard a noise. They didn't understand what it was. And the voice was speaking not to them all, but to whom? To Paul. To Paul. Yeah, and exactly. So, and, 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 and so... so and oh, I was yeah. gonna say, I was gonna say, what you have is you, you have, you have. They heard something audible, but Paul understood it. Well, I've defined it like my wife talking to me from the kitchen when I'm three doors down, and you know I can hear her saying something, but I haven't got a clue what it was. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's Paul, and that's the one receiving the message. So, question two, Shelton, is it true that if we change emphasis of the words a little bit, we might get a better impression of what really Paul was saying here. For example, if he said, who are you, Lord? Or who are you, Lord? Or as John read it a moment ago, who are you, Lord? It's obvious that Paul feared the voice, but then I asked, did he not more fear the content of these words? Well, I think that that's a fair point. You know, I, for a long, for the longest time, and when we went over Acts 9 and Truth Factor, I learned a little bit more about this, thinking about, okay, if we were to change the emphasis on that, and I think it was even you, Mike, that brought that up, you know, that this could be saying, who are you, Lord? You know, is this the mm -hmm. Lord talking to me? And, and it kind of changed the way I thought about this, uh, this passage. But I, I think it does change the, the emphasis does change the meaning, you know, even on, in our language today. But mm -hmm. I think it is obvious Paul feared the voice, you know, the, the voice that, that was absolutely, you know, terrifying, I'm sure. He, he falls to the ground. He's blinded by this, this light. I'm sure there's a fear there. And I'm sure there was also a fear for the words, because if we look at the life of Paul from this moment on, I think fear has been used interchangeably a lot with respect. You know, absolutely. like we are, to, we are to fear our parents as children. Well, that doesn't mean 
I'm afraid of my father, but I respect my father's authority. Mm-hmm. And the same thing's true here. Paul did fear the words and the content of what he was saying, because when we look at his life, he had a great respect for it. He did mm-hmm. what he was told. He obeyed the Lord, followed him very faithfully. So I think he feared the voice and also feared or respected the words being taught. Well, I, I appreciate that, Shelton, and you're exactly right with it. Now, Paul, if you would again, would you please relate what Jesus promised to do with Paul and what benefit uh, would come from the purpose? Well, when he when he reveals who he is, and that had to be uh, maybe a terrifying thing for for Paul to come to realize because he had been persecuting him. Uh, we read there that uh, he has uh, some work for Paul to do. It says to make him a minister and a witness. Um, he's going to deliver him from the Jewish people, uh, but here he's going to have certainly some work to do. Uh, I think it's in one of the uh, other accounts. I was looking here to make sure that I'm right about that, uh, where it mentions that I think it's when when uh, the Lord talks to Ananias to send him. He talks about how Paul was a chosen vessel uh, to the Gentiles and to kings, and that he was going to take a very prominent role in the spread of the gospel. But so we're going to see here that the Lord is going to transform the life of Paul. Uh, He's come to know who Jesus is. He's going to obey the gospel. He's going to, not to jump on your question, but but he's going to uh, do like others have done throughout Scripture uh, in obedience to that gospel. And when we look at that, he's going to then become one who goes from persecuting to promoting, who goes from being uh, one who's trying to tear down the one who is a minister of the gospel, uh, taking that word forth, uh, serving the Lord uh, through great trouble and tribulation. Well, we could even say, Paul, he's going to he's going to make Paul as zealous for Christ as he ever was against Christ. Well said. Well, with that, let's go back to the chat room then and see if our listeners, uh, if, if we've got any concerns and, and interest here in this. Did this conversation from the Lord to Paul forgive his sins, or did it make him simply more keenly aware of his sins? If it forgave his sins, how did it do it? And if not, what do we need to do in order to gain that forgiveness? Have we got any, uh, any comments about that, John? We do. Gregor has posted a comment that is much more concise than your question. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it brought forth belief and repentance. His sins were removed when baptized in Damascus. Excellent, Gregor. Excellent. I, I do have this gift of gab, and uh, <laughs> I've had several people tell me my sermons would be probably 30 minutes shorter if I just quit gabbing and started preaching. But that's one of the fallacies, I guess. But I, I'm not apologizing for it, just explaining it. Gregor, you're exactly right. The Lord never saved anyone by simply... Uh, let me let me class, uh, clarify that. Salvation this side of Calvary, this side of the cross, has never been done by someone simply speaking to that man and say, you're saved, or thy sins be forgiven thee. There must be the hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and immersion. Too many in the world have conjured up their own plans of this. Here's Paul standing in defense of the gospel of Christ and actually defending his own life. This would be a lousy place for him to, to mess up 
the plan of salvation. So he had told Felix, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I'm satisfied that in the time that Festus had him, when they communicated back and forth, there again, Paul explains that to him. And Agrippa, remember, was not ignorant of these things. He's expert in all these things so that he would have heard about it. And we're going to prove that in this very next section. We need to emphasize that baptism is what puts you into Christ. We're baptized into him. It also places us in the church. As many as were baptized were added unto the church, Acts 2. And so we, we cannot underestimate the importance of being immersed for the remission of our sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Thomas, if you would, please, would you mind reading for us verses 19 to 23? All right. Okay. So we continue. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the heavenly vision. Please, but please reread that. Reread it? Yes, you missed a word. Okay. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the Thank heavenly you. vision. <laughs> what? That's the word you missed. Thank What's that? Disobedient. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he go, well, he goes on. Uh, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Thank you, Thomas. And I didn't mean to, to get on you about uh, misreading that, but it is important. Oh, yeah. I, we, yeah, we I, need I thought I said the word, but uh, uh, maybe some kind of a glitch silenced it or something. I don't know. You said I was not obedient. Oh, obedient. Okay. Disobedient. Yeah, there's a big difference there. There's a big difference, and I wasn't trying to step on you or anything, but that's okay. <laughs> emphasize that. Now, the chat room question, obviously at verse 19, includes obedience to the gospel in his discussion with Agrippa. Uh, it takes that from Acts 9, 17 to 19. Note carefully, though, in your study, Acts 9 and verse 20, in connection with our present study, Acts 26 and verse 20, and relate the immediate work of Paul. That's a great study, and so it's going to ask you to do a couple of page turnings in there, but I think that you'll, you'll profit from that. Now, Paul's reasons uh, were plural for the Jews seizing him and attempting to kill him. Tom which of the reasons under either the Old Testament or the New Testament, what what one of these plurality of reasons merited Paul's death? Uh, the answer to that would be none other, uh, other than, I mean, what they would have thought about with him was blasphemy, you know. Uh, but then again, but then again, Paul wasn't blaspheming the way they accused Jesus. So, I mean, in, in all honesty, it, it didn't merit, merit death. D don't forget in all of this, and this included Jesus, 
and I think we see it in society today, you have this intense hatred for the truth. Oh, yeah. To, to where they're just unwilling to consider whether or not that which is said is the truth. And that was really at the foundation of their trying to destroy Paul. It was their unwillingness. Paul hadn't done anything worthy of being stoned to death. Not at all. Not at all. He, he makes mention here, uh, Shelton, we'll come back to you here. He makes mention in the text that uh, he, he began immediately in the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Do you suppose, and this again is not on our outline, but do you suppose, Shelton, that the fact that Paul was willing to preach to Gentiles the same thing he'd tell Jews, that that also contributed to their hatred? Oh, absolutely. That probably more than anything that we read in scriptures, the Jews being absolutely angry at teachers of the gospel is the fact that they're allowing Jew or Gentiles to receive it also. Uh, you know, it's something new to them. They, they've always felt, felt special because the word was only for them. And now you are, uh, you're contaminating the, the blood, the people, you know, by mm -hmm. allowing these people to, to receive the same godliness as we did. And it was absolutely uh, like Thomas said in our, our discussion, an intense prejudice, you know, the same way yes. we might see it today. Uh, in our society, what happens when blacks get mad at whites or whites get mad at blacks? And, you know, we go back and forth with whether it's racial or, or beliefs or, or whatever it is. There's really nothing that anybody has done wrong necessarily, but we get so mad at the other person and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then all these things unravel and go crazy. And that's kind of what's happening to the Jews right now. They're so mad that Paul is giving this to the Gentiles. I, I accept that. I appreciate that, Shelton. Paul, it is crazy. Let, let, let's come back to you now. And uh, in, in this, Paul credits God with helping him in his work of declaring the truth by way of Moses and the prophets regarding Jesus Christ. How's God help us in that work today? Well, we have... Uh, in a, in a wonderful way, we have the uh, law and the prophets, and we have the New Testament scriptures. We have all of that very easily accessible to us. I suppose the word of God is more accessible to us than it has ever been before. It remains just as powerful as it always has been. Uh, preached a sermon recently on some of the dangers that we have uh, of some of the technology and online resources that we have. But there's also uh, some great things is that you can look up a Bible verse. You can do a quick search. Uh, you can utilize all kinds of tools, uh, you know, through the, the magic of the Internet. Uh, and so uh, we have the word of God just right there at our, our fingertips. If not, we've certainly got books and books and books and we can uh, study and we can know those things. And so God has given us a, a schoolmaster, a tutor that leads us to Christ in studying through all those things and that we can be pleasing to God when we hear, believe, understand and do his will. I appreciate that, Paul. Let me extend just a little bit into that question. Paul, you and Thomas, you and John, you, you're the three on this panel that are not only preachers of the gospel of Christ, you're elders, you're officers, you're, you're shepherds of the flock of which you are a part. Let me suggest, and, and I, I was hoping that we'd bring this out, but I'll just go ahead and tell you now what was on my mind with that question. I'm satisfied that none of the three of you as elders and Shelton and I as, as, as preachers 
and others that have been on this panel and all those that are watching that may be preachers, I'm satisfied that we don't begin a single day or a single moment of study without first going in prayer and saying, God, help me understand. If we lack wisdom, James tells us that we're to ask of God who gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. I, I got to tell you, I'm older than y'all, and I've bragged about that since I've been on the panel. But the older I get, the more I understand I don't get my own wisdom. I can't. I have to have the wisdom of God, and the only way I get that is through prayer. I'm satisfied that's how God helped Paul. He, he was a man of prayer. He was a man of full dedication, full understanding, and full, full willingness to accept what God allowed him to do and led him to do, as he promised in the earlier passages here. Well, let's let's go back to the chat room question, then. Did you did you see any uh, any correlation correlation here between Acts nine twenty and Acts twenty six twenty? We got any comments on that, John? Hello, John. I think John uh, maybe muted. I see there that he has. There we go. Uh, oh, go ahead, John. I'm My bad. Sorry. sorry. Gregor says, immediately he preached to the synagogues and the Gentiles of Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Paul was preaching as soon as his conversion was complete, just like before King Agrippa. Exactly. He didn't waste time. Those that are new converts, as we call them, many times, and, and, and I, we need to take new converts and make sure that they, as newborn babes, are fed to sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby, Hebrews 5. But I also want to point out that it didn't take a year and a half to two years to get a new convert energetically repeating to others what he had just completed. We need to let that be known. There's so many folks who have been members of the church for years and years, and they say, well, I can't tell anybody anything about the gospel. I don't know anything about it. Well, you obeyed it. Tell them how. And share with them the fact of what brought you to belief, what brought you to repentance, what encouraged you to confess, and what convinced you to be immersed. If you share that, you're sharing the same thing Paul shared immediately upon his conversion and immediately upon the opportunity of talking to King of All right. Now, John, I'm going to get you out of the background, if I could, please. I need 24 through 27, and we'll quickly draw this to a close in just two more sections here. 24 to 27, if you would, please. All right, Mike, beginning of verse 24, we read, Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also freely speak, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing has not, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Thank you, John. On our chat room question, does the preaching of truth and reason cause madness? Does it bring about insanity? That, it, it, people will tell you yes, but let's get a Bible answer for that. 
So, John, while you're you've been stuck in the background so long, and I like to see your face. The reaction of Festus is is a sharp contrast to that of Agrippa. Could you please compare to us Acts two thirty seven and Acts seven twenty four, and show how the same truth and reason can create opposing forces here? Well, that's a very good point, Mike. Um, in Acts chapter two verse thirty seven, when Peter had had um, presented the the message and had basically convicted the people there of sin of having crucified Jesus Christ. He said, this man whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Savior. Then when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were, they were pricked and they, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? There was a realization and acceptance of the truth that they were in the wrong and they wanted to know what to do. In this case in point, Festus was not convinced, or if he was convinced, he was unwilling to do anything about it publicly. So his response was, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Um, it's interesting if you think about that, Mike, in relation to what they call Paul in Acts chapter uh, 17 there at the Aragopagus, when they call him this babbler, which means, you know, seed picker. You know, there they were accusing Paul of having a little bit of knowledge that he didn't know anything about, but let's hear him out. But Fest is saying all this knowledge you have is driving you mad. Yeah. Well, and in Acts 9, uh, we find that uh, when, or uh, Acts 7, rather, we find when Stephen preached his gospel, it, yes. uh, it angered him. Yeah. And so it's the reaction of, of the recipient that I'm getting at here. That's right heart that is absolutely willing to accept the truth you won't have a problem but quite frankly listeners we're finding a lot of folks in this world that would rather do things their own way than god's way and they'll get angry about it don't get discouraged if you've got the truth you've got all you need to to defend your right and your soul and god if if you've got your bible in hand and can book chapter and verse you've got nothing to fear and even death. Don't don't worry about it. You know, it's Mike. Interesting. Oh, go ahead. I'll I, come in a little later. I just just real quick. Um, I'm reminded of when Jesus makes a statement, "Let them alone; they are blind, leading the mm-hmm. blind." The fact mm-hmm. he says, "Let them alone." Yeah, is a very interesting statement there, and and yeah. something we can talk about later. The implication of that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, oh, I'm done. Well, I just find it an interesting situation here that uh, Agrippa and Bernice want to hear about uh, what Paul has to say. Uh, Festus has arranged the situation. And here, as Paul's giving his defense, we find that Festus interrupts. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I have to think that maybe there's something to do with the fact that Felix had kept him in in custody, at least, I guess would be the nicest way to say that. And Mm -hmm. then... Uh, Festus here has continued to keep him in custody with no charges being brought. And so maybe he's just a little bit uh, trying to defend his own self and his own actions a little bit by saying, uh, this guy's nuts. Yeah, because Roman leaders had to have a reason to keep you in prison. Good thought, Paul. Good thought. Yeah. Go ahead, Thomas. Uh, I also find it reason, uh, and we could spend a lot of time talking about truth and reason. You know, two things, yeah. using using logic and being willing to consider 
whether or not something is truthful. The reason there's so much division today, the reason Paul and Jesus had problem with these Jewish leaders is they were not willing to listen to his reasoning. They were not willing to consider whether or not he, what he said and did was the truth. Isaiah 1, 16 through 18, come now, let us reason together, said God. You know, uh, you know, Mike, I didn't see that Brian Haynes, who had to leave us today, he made a comment in the chat room that sort of goes along with what I uh, had just said. I didn't see his comment, but he says it much better than what I said. And he says, I have always found Festus's reaction as a type of deflection of a hard point. From that point on, anything Paul said might be characterized as being madness. And I think that there, uh, that was sort of what I was trying to get at. Yeah, Brian. yeah. Brian said it much more eloquently. I appreciate that, Brian. I really do. Well, let's go to the chat room and see if there's any, there's an obvious answer, but let's see if anyone else commented on it, John. Does the preaching of truth and reason cause madness? Um, no, no one commented on it. Well, they're right. It doesn't cause madness. It actually, it's, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It enlightens us. It is God's word that provides to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. Right. It kind of yeah. reminds you of how Paul referred to his preaching as foolishness. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think that some people will see it that way, but that's yeah. not the reality. But yeah. it's not reality. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, and just real quickly, what causes madness is, is the reaction to what is said. Yeah. Let's hasten, because of time, to the last uh, three verses in there. And Shelton, if you would, please, 28 through 30. Yes, Mike. It says, And Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both and almost all together, such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and, uh, and Bernice and those who sat with them. You want me to read through 32? Yes, please. Okay. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or change. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thank you for that, Shelton, on my outline. I'd missed that. I, I appreciate that. Now, the chat room question is another simple question, but one that deserves some thought. What's the danger of being almost persuaded to obey Christ? Paul, again, please. What was Agrippa's answer to Paul's question? Why? What does this name Christian mean? Uh, well, um, to Agrippa's question. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What was Agrippa's answer to Paul's question? Oh, um, what does this name Christian mean? I was looking for that here in our text. Uh, well, Paul, uh, Paul said to him, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then he said, I know you believe. Well, what's Agrippa's response? Well, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And so we have here uh, that you're going to talk about the danger of, of almost. You have two words that sound that begin very similarly that are used here, almost and all together. Yes. Uh, a long time ago, I preached a sermon, and it's 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 worth preaching about are you almost or all together? 
and mm-hmm. you could talk about a lot of different things within the, the uh, teaching of the scriptures about being almost or entirely altogether. Uh, here it's about being a Christian. And I guess uh, Paul's answer is, is that I don't want you to be almost anything. I, I want you to get this figured out. Uh, it's of the highest importance. I wish that everyone who heard me uh, would be altogether convinced of these things. Exactly so. This name Christian literally means belonging to Christ. Until that action of obedience, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being immersed, until that is completed, an individual is simply one who believes, but so do devils. What's their future? We need to understand the value of belonging to Christ. We're bought by that blood of Christ. The only way that blood of Christ is allowed to purchase is by our obedience. Tom, I'll send the last question to you. Paul was doing, uh, uh, was Paul doing anything at all worthy of death or change? Would, and, and more importantly, would we willingly suffer that kind of treatment for merely preaching truth and reason? First answer is the easier one. No. <laughs> Second answer is I don't know. I can tell you what I would hope is the truth of that. Would we be willing to stand up? But we, and how many of us have actually been greatly tested on this? And when we look at what little tests we've had, how have we dealt with those? Yeah, I've got a file folder that my wife keeps telling me I need to throw away, and she's probably right. Call it fan mail. (laughs) No years of preaching, I've had a lot of letters that just are not very kind. Interestingly, they weren't brave enough to say uh, to sign them. Yeah, had my car wrecked. I've had my life threatened. Uh, I was baptizing uh, two women one time in a creek, and the husband of one of those women had threatened to shoot me with a shotgun if I baptized her. I didn't know that till after the event. But I do remember getting peppered with gravel from that country road when he spun the wheels to get out of there. People don't like truth. Mm-hmm. We need to love it. Enough to give our lives for it. Because if we are set for the defense of the gospel of Christ, there is nothing in which better to die than in the service of our king. John, I'll give it back to you. All right, Mike, did you want to do the chat room question? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot all about it. What is the danger of almost being persuaded? I'm glad you asked. Gregor made a good comment. He says, almost is not good enough. As Jesus himself said, said, baptizing them. Thank you. Yeah. Which brings a question up, Mike, real quick, and I know we're, we're out of time. Have you ever given much thought, and we don't really have time to discuss it, that Based on the reading of the Greek in regards to the statement, almost thou persuadest me, that it could be that instead of him saying, you've almost done it, he was asking the question, with this you would, or with this little bit, you would persuade me. I considered that. I, I read it in English, not Greek. So, I really, <laughs> Well, I the, the New American Standard says, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And that's the idea. I would hope that was true, Almost. and that uh, yeah. I would hope that Agrippa finally did. I would pray that he did. But but the ESV goes in a short time. Would you persuade me to be a Christian? If, yeah, you could do that. 
Yeah, it's, sure. it's kind of, and the, the Greek word, the Greek is not really solid enough to say which way is absolutely right on that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mike, I appreciate you, you uh, hosting the study today, walking us through it. You did a fine job. Um, we're out of time. Are there any other important thoughts or comments any of the guys want to bring up? It it just wraps up, you know, uh, uh, you know, we would have set him free. This man should have been set free if he wouldn't appeal to Caesar. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. More than likely, they could have set him free anyways if they wanted to. Yeah, but he, he had to be willing to go free, and he wasn't. Yeah, exactly. That'd be my thought, yeah. All righty. Well, again, Mike, thank you so much. You did a fine job today. Um, it was my really pleasure. a great chapter to do. So. And um, who's got 27? We'll need to look to see, probably. But here's an important announcement. Call it a PSA. We won't have a study next week. Next week, um, I will be unavailable. That will be the 16th. And then we have two more chapters left. And if all goes according to plan, we will finish it up by the end of October. That is our study of Acts. So we'll give you more information as we push on through there. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Please be sure to contact us as, as we've been sharing throughout the course of today's study. We'd love to hear from you. But our next study will be in two weeks, and that should be on the 23rd of October at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone in the United States. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And let's call that 10 o'clock mountain time and right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a very wonderful week.